Now, normally, this is where my absolutely amazing co-host would welcome you into the episode, but I have to chime in here first this time. As those of you who noticed the title of the podcast episodes will see that this is labeled Pulp Fiction Part 1. This is because this episode ran so long, Sam and I thought it would be better to give it to you all in two parts. So this is just part one, and part two will follow maybe the next day. So enjoy part one of our Pulp Fiction review. Episode 168, Samuel Emanuel Movie Podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Sam Reimer. And I'm uh, Manny Manuel. 168 episodes, Manny. Many a movie talked about. Many a time this one has been referenced and shied away from. So that we may get to this moment where we get to talk about your favorite movie of all time. Pulp motherfucking fiction 1994 masterpiece we are still on 1994 by the way this is the final movie we'll be talking about in our mm-hmm. 1994 retrospective uh until next week when we talk about uh, when we wrap the whole year up in a neat little bow yeah in our full retrospective but uh there's been so many times where pulp fiction has come up on the show yeah and we have gently tiptoed around it uh we have been talking about this movie in passing uh, and in innuendos for about four years. Yeah. Uh, in anticipation of eventually having this episode. I've, of course, known for a long time that this is your favorite movie. Yeah. But I've, I've kind of realized recently that I don't know all of why. Like we're we'll, we're going to get into that. Yeah. Yeah. And it's it's amazing to me. We've never, <laughs> we've, we've avoided it so successfully. Yes. <laughs> yes. Like we avoid trailers. Yeah. 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 And, uh, yeah, the, the payoff, uh, much like the avoidance of trailers, uh, is, is very sweet. Oh, well, well I guess we'll find out. <laughs> I hope, I mean, I hope it'll be sweet. I'm hoping that you'll be, I hope the, the wait Could was... you imagine if this was terrible? If we just had a terrible time talking about this movie? <laughs> As we're talking, you're like passing out. Like, what? Manny, what? What? Uh, this is boring. <laughs> Can you shut the fuck up, please? Can we talk about something else? I was like, I thought you were going to, can we talk about Forrest Gump? Yeah. <laughs> Uh, Manny, if people yeah. want to find us on social media, where can they do so? They can find us on Instagram and Twitter at Sam underscore Manny underscore movie. They can find us on Facebook at the Samuel Manny Movie Podcast. They can email us at sammanymoviepodcast at gmail.com. And they can find this podcast wherever they get their podcasts, whether it be Spotify, iTunes, Stitcher, Luminary, and whatever podcast providers are out there. We should be on them. And if you have a particular podcast provider and we're not, let me know. And I will fix that situation. Manny, am I to understand that you were so excited about today's episode that you cut your own daughter out of the show? It's true. It is 100% true. Yeah. Yeah. No, the actual reason, <laughs> there'll actually be no Maya's movie moment this week uh, because sadly I didn't uh, have my daughter uh, this past weekend. 
she got to spend the weekend with her mother and her other father. So we couldn't record a podcast. So for those of you that just sit here and listen to Maya's movie moment and then quickly turn it off, you can just turn it off now. Perfect. Yes. Uh, Manny, uh, what movies did you watch this week that were not your favorite movie of all time? I watched – well, I have six that I want to talk about. I actually watched more than that. Oh, shit. Yeah. Uh, I, I was super – well, I was not busy, which allowed me to watch all these movies. So I, I narrowed it down to six. Uh, I'll be able to go through them pretty quickly, but there are some I want to touch on. The first one um, – the first three here are actually all 1994 films as I'm getting very close to wrapping up almost every single one that I wanted to watch. Uh, so the first one here is Ed Wood. Uh, it's a Tim Burton film. The movie is uh, ambitious but troubled movie director Edward D. Wood Jr. tries his best to fulfill his dreams despite his lack of talent. Do you know about Ed Wood? I do, actually. Um, you, will, you will know that I am fond of movies that are so bad that they're good i've i've never seen any edward movies but uh-huh. a, a good friend of mine named ramona uh shout out to ramona if you're listening i don't think she does listen well get uh, on it get her on it <laughs> um she is an edward fan really uh she is she's a fan of uh is it plant nine from outer space that so, is considered the worst movie of all time yeah she's a big fan of that movie interesting yeah i have not watched plant nine from outer space mm-hmm. either i haven't watched any edward film i wanted to revisit this movie for two reasons one very similar to forrest gump i have bitterness towards this film oh yes uh martin landau won best supporting actor Mm. for this role over what i think should have been samuel l jackson's win for pulp fiction uh spoilers for ahead yeah so I was looking forward to revisiting this because I found with Tim Burton films, I either kind of really like them or I dislike them a lot. And so I was interested in revisiting this because I wanted to see if Martin Landau's performance was that good. And it really fucking is. It's really fucking good. Now, whether or not I think it should beat Samuel Jackson, tune in next week when I dive into it deep. But I will say this, that it is 100% worthy of the nomination. It is a absolutely transformative and mesmerizing performance. The other thing that shocked me was I was surprised at how much I was enjoying this film. I was really enjoying Johnny Depp's performance. And I was really enjoying the tone that Tim Burton had done for this. Now, I haven't seen... The movie, despite your repeated uh, request for me to do so, and I can't remember the name of it. It's the movie about the making of The Room. Oh, uh, The Disaster Artist. Thank you. I'm going to guess that this is probably very similar to that movie. Oh, yeah. Good call. I think this is a movie that you'd probably really enjoy Mm -hmm. if you can buy in on Johnny Depp's performance. It is a tad over the top. A tad. Not in the way that you're thinking of Johnny Depp's other performances. It's not like Captain Jack Sparrow. It's not like like um it's not like the Mad Hatter or Charlie and Chaka Factory. What he's really playing here is someone that is so in love with the idea of making movies, he's almost childlike. And he's so exuberant and so enthusiastic to make movies as a living. He's just, but also incredibly naive. N- he's not. No, he's not naive. He's just not as smart as he thinks he is. Mm. 
and he's very the what's this uh wide-eyed and bushy-tailed <laughs> that is the exact performance that johnny depp's giving and i found myself buying into it and really enjoying it this movie was a lot better than i remembered I really was going in expecting to hate this movie, and I had a really good time. I gave it a three out of four. Almost a four for for basically Johnny Depp and Martin Landau. Um, I know we're pressed for time, so if you have extra time other than the ones we talked off air, you might want to give this a chance or down the line, give this a look. Um, I think I'm going – after we're done 94, my viewing schedule opens up a lot so i might might be tempted to check out the disaster artist um because i i think you might like ed wood okay yeah so ed wood three out of four three out of four it's three out of five. Oh my goodness you changed <laughs> the scoring system on us i did <laughs> i'm like mile all of a sudden uh the next movie was one i was Super excited and been waiting to revisit, and that is Speed, the action film Speed, uh, starring Keanu Reeves, Dennis Hopper, and Sandra Bullock. Uh, a young police officer must prevent a bomb exploding aboard a city bus by keeping its speed above 50 miles per hour. I know that you haven't seen this. Is that correct? That is correct. I've I've flipped flipped it on TV for a brief moment before, but it's never. Uh... I've never sat down and watched it. Okay. What are your thoughts on Keanu Reeves as an action star? Uh, he is notoriously wooden. Um, I, I'm not, like, I'm, I'm a fan of the first Matrix movie. Yeah. Uh, I am a fan of the first John Wick movie. Okay. Um, Have you seen all three? I've only no, seen the first one. I've only seen the first one. Okay. Well. Um, I've seen all four three currently matrix movies okay uh, soon to be four um but i only really have strong feelings about the first one yeah and that's i agree strong positively um i don't think that keanu reeves acting as far as his performance is the best part of any of those movies we just listed um if you include physical acting in the description of the performance then uh his his acting in all those movies is amazing. Okay. Like, let me let me rephrase what I just said a little bit. Your opinion of his performance in all of his action movies is dependent on to what extent you include physical acting yes. in the description of acting. Does that make sense? It does. You know what? <sighs> I'm off the top of my head. I would put this, and I'm... Obviously, I'm not disagreeing with you with his acting style. It is very wooden. It's mm. not great. But as an action star, his action acting is top-notch. Mm. <clears throat> this isn't saying much. This might be one of his best performances. Acting-wise. Acting-wise. Okay. Action acting, it's still great. It's the Keanu that we all enjoy. I'm gonna tell you. I'm. I, I won't. I'm not gonna give anything away. Obviously, I don't. You know, I don't want to give anything away. What I want you to do when you watch this movie is, I really want you to. I want you to take a. I want you to understand. This is the movie that launched Sandra Bullock. Right. So I'm. I'll be very interested in your take on that. Because 
I'm going to tell you right now, I fell in love with her after this movie. Oh, okay. This was... I think she is... I won't even lie. I'm going to say this flat out right now. I think this is also one of her best performances. She is... For an action movie. I don't mm. think this like this is an Academy Award. This is the kind of... You, I think it, when you watch this movie, you'll be like, this... I, I, I understand why she became a star. Mm. If this was like her first... like first big role she had another one earlier on in a, a very fun movie that if you ever want something cheesy and fun i've mentioned it before it's called demolition man right um where she's cute in here but this movie um i think after you watch it, you'd be like okay i see why sandra bullock became a star did she win an oscar for um blindside yes yeah yes okay i remember watching that movie and not being that impressed yeah, I don't remember it. I don't. I'm not saying it wasn't worthy. It's definitely one that I will revisit when we get to that year, which I can't remember. I, I'm, I'm top of my head it's like 2009. I wonder if I'm even close. Enough. I think I think you're correct, actually. Really? Yeah, it's bang on. Fucking really? Let me look I'd up. be really impressed with myself. The blind side. Um, this 2009. I'm not, <laughs> that was. I'm not gonna lie. I'm pretty happy about myself yeah, right good. now. <laughs> pretty good. Uh, this 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 movie is. So much fun. So much fun. I'm really excited for you to, to watch this movie. Everything that I've heard, my, my preconceived notion about Speed is that it is one of the best versions of what it is, which is just kind of a dumb turn-your-brain-off action movie um, that has a relentless pace. Like, the plot of this movie just lends itself to just a ridiculous pace. Yes. Um, what was I going to say? Oh, I was going to ask you. Uh, you're not a Simpsons guy, right? No. Are you aware of the... Ho- There's a famous Homer Simpson quote about speed. No. Movie. What is it? It's, uh, I saw this in a movie about a bus that had to speed around a city, keeping its speed over 50, and if its speed dropped, it would explode. I think it was called The Bus That Couldn't Slow Down. <laughs> <laughs> I've always loved that quote. That's a good quote. That's a good quote. Um, speed, four out of five. Absolutely... Cool fun movie that i can watch over and over and over again big big fan of speed next up uh the last of 94 films uh i wish i could say i revisited this one this is um while it didn't even garner an oscar nomination this is widely considered the best documentary of that year that's called hoop dreams uh a film following the lives of two inner city chicago boys who struggle to become college basketball players on the road to going professional this was a big deal back in 1994. Um, it is considered, it was considered at the time an absolute travesty that it did not get uh, a Best Documentary nomination. Uh, I haven't had a chance to watch the five Best Documentary feature-length films uh, that were nominated that year. In fact, I didn't even take a look at them. Let's see if I even know them. Uh, let's see. Maya Lin, A Strong Clear Vision Wins, Complaints of a Dutiful Daughter, D-Day Remembered, Freedom on My Mind, Great Dane Harlem. Never heard of any one of those. While people still are talking about Hoop Dreams, Hoop Dreams is in the Criterion Collection uh, for the big nerds out there. Do you know you know what the Criterion Collection is, right? I'm not sure I do. I've heard of it. That's okay, the Criterion Collection is a <clears throat> it's a basically like a DVD release company that hand-select important films of varying degrees of importance hmm. and release them on highly mastered DVDs and Blu-rays. The films vary in quality, but their importance to the history of film 
is almost undeniable. By saying this, uh, a Criterion collection that I'm sure of a movie you've heard of is The Seven Samurai. Yeah. Right? Another Criterion collection, Armageddon. Right. Right. Uh, but, I mean, even even AFI, or maybe I'm thinking of, or no, Library of Congress has a, a similar sort of idea, right? Where they, they will deem a film uh, culturally, aesthetically, or yes. historically significant. Yeah. Whether or not that means good or bad doesn't really matter correct yeah so criterion is very similar and yeah. they have like they have their own streaming service and they have um they have they release movies they like they release them on blu-ray and dvd and stuff like that i have i have a few criterion collection uh i don't know on what grounds that they decide to choose on them uh, but it's it's very good so this is one of the few documentaries that are in the criterion collection i didn't realize that this is an almost a three-hour documentary, and at times it definitely feels like it. Yeah, it's two hours and fifty minutes. There are some times that it um, it does it got a little slow for me, but this is a ninety-eight Metascore. Yeah, I'm, I'm looking at it on IMDb right now. That's nuts. It's it's pretty. It it was good. It was <laughs> it was really good. Um, I only gave it a three out of five, mostly because it did not need to be that long. There are some. There are a lot of cuts that could be made, but you find yourself pretty riveted on these two boys on their, and it follows them. I think for about six years, hmm. so they have a lot of footage and a lot of stuff. And watching what these two young men go through to try to get their dreams of one make the NBA. And as they move along, that becomes apparent that that might not be the case. So next up is can they just get into college? It's very interesting. Um, you don't have to be a basketball fan to enjoy this. I'm not, but I've always appreciated the athleticism of that sport. So this was a, a really good watch. Uh, I did give it a 3 out of 5. This is one that I could – probably see myself revisiting again it's i want to say this there are moments as this movie unfolds where you're watching it and you're like oh i know it's gonna happen but this is real life and so the hollywood ending you're looking for doesn't happen and you're like oh my god you get this huge slap of reality in your face and it was so different because I live in mostly a movie world with everything I watch. So seeing the non-Hollywood ending or the non even the non-Hollywood moment was uh, very refreshing. And then at the same time, I'm watching these young men cry because their Hollywood ending didn't occur. Right. And I was like, oh, <laughs> sorry that I reveled in your failure. But uh, it was it was really good. I had a great time watching it. I'm just trying. What I'm trying to find right now is some info on Steve James, uh, the the filmmaker, uh, because I've not really heard of any of his movies. I think um, I can't imagine that it must have been difficult. Yeah, see, documentary. Oh, he did. Oh, he he made the movie Prefontaine. Holy shit! Yeah. Wow. I do not know what that is. Uh, it's funny. Uh, you know how we talk about um, 
they always make two movies. You know, there was Armageddon and Deep Impact. Yeah. And uh, A Bug's Life and Ants. Mm-hmm. Well, Prefontaine, Steve Prefontaine was like this long distance runner. And they made two Steve Prefontaine movies. Whoa. Yeah. <laughs> it was ridiculous. Um, and both of them were okay. One was, I, I don't know which one I remember being a lot better. Uh, that's funny they did it. Um, let's see. I don't, well, he did do one of the 30 for 30s. I've watched lots of those. Oh, which one? It looks for no crossover. The trial of Allen Iverson. Oh, okay. Um, hmm. I don't recognize any of these other documentaries that he's done. So yeah, but he it says he was nominated for two Oscars. Uh, let's see, for documentary feature for Abacus, small enough to jail in 2016. Oh, and for film editing for Hoop Dreams, for this year. Hmm. Um. Yeah, it, if you, I think, shit, where did I watch Hoop Dreams? Oh, no, I saw it for sale. I own it. I was, <laughs> I was like, I know I, I know that I saw it on one of the streaming services. I just don't remember, but I was on for, the week I was, wanting, I was planning on trying to watch it, it went on sale on iTunes for Boom. five bucks. I was like, why not? Done. <laughs> uh, yeah, Hoop Dreams, uh, three out of five, uh, very enjoyable. If anyone gets a chance to watch it, uh, I highly recommend it. Awesome. Next up, late last night, uh, I was in the mood to watch something stupid and fun and light. So I decided to revisit a 2016? No, 2009. 2009 stupid comedy called Fanboys. I've heard of this. Never seen it. Oh, my God. Star Wars fanatics take a cross-country trip to George Lucas's Skywalker Ranch so their dying friend can see a screening of Star Wars Episode I, The Phantom Menace, before its release i can't believe that i haven't seen this movie so i've heard of it for a long time um my cousin actually spoiled the ending for me which i won't do here like when it came out essentially because he wanted to tell me about how funny like the this one part is like the very end yeah as far as far as i know as far as i know it's the spoiler for the very end interesting let's actually i do want to discuss this so spoilers (laughs) for fanboys give us about 30 seconds in three, two, one, go fuck yourselves. Go ahead. My understanding of the very end of Fanboys, or what I'm assuming is the very end, is they finally ma- they get the screening that they want, and they're watching the movie, and one of them turns to the other and says, what if it's bad? And the credits roll. Okay, not quite. Okay. not. But yes, that is the last line of the movie. Yeah. But it's it it occurs when they're actually at the release of the movie. Okay. Okay. Gotcha. All right. All right. Okay. And we're back. And we're back. Okay. <laughs> Um, I don't know what went on with me last night, because this was literally last night that I watched this. Okay. I got teary-eyed. I had a blast. Movies about close male friendships, man. Yes. <laughs> yes. Just killing and, you, right? Yes, and that's exactly what this movie is. Mm-hmm. It is, there's not great acting, not to the point of bad, but not great. There are so many cameos in this movie that I'm not going to ruin them for you. Don't look at the cast list. I'm begging you. Okay, not looking at it. Don't look at the cast list. You can look at the main cast. Like it's... I, I saw I saw the name Jay Baruchel. I yeah. Think. yeah. Dan Fogler, Jay Baruchel, Kristen Bell. Uh, and that's funny because none of those three are the two main characters. <laughs> <laughs> Sam Huntington and Chris Marquette, who at times I was like, oh, my God, it's Miles Teller. But it's not. <laughs> uh there there are some incredible cameos in here that I 
if if you decide to watch this, which I think you should, I think I should too. <laughs> this I won't lie. This is in consideration for the Manny Movie Club. Right. I, I have a movie that is high up on my list. This is going to be one that is. I'm just gonna. Add, I'm go, I'm gonna add to my list very soon. I'm adding it to my IMDb watch list. Perfect. Or to my uh, to my Letterbox watch list rather. But I, yeah. I'll hold off in the short term in case you need to make it a make it a pick. No, no, dude. Dude, if you get the chance to watch this, do it. Okay. Do it. Do it. Do it. All right. All right. All right. Because if you want, it, it's it's less than an hour and a half. It's a buck twenty nine. Oh shit. So it is. It is such an easy watch. It is having so much fun with its premise. Go ahead. Streaming service? Prime. Okay. I own that. That's good. Prime. Okay. It is fully embracing the movie that it is. It is not trying to be anything more than that. It is very heartfelt and honest and earnest and just going along with its premise and enjoying the ride. The fun that they have along the way, the adventures they encounter, the things they do are over the top, stupid and dumb, and I bought into all of it. I had a blast watching this last night. And again, movies about male friendship, close male friendship, get me every time. There is a moment that brought me to the verge of tears. And after you've watched it, I will tell you, it, it will not surprise you which one it is. Mm. But I'm going to leave it because I think, in all honesty, it's like the highlight of filmmaking in that movie. Mm. Fanboys, four out of five. Fucking A. Yeah. Had a blast. One, I enjoyed it so much. This is going on my I'm buying it list. I'm wow. Gonna, I'm buy, I want this in my collection because I want to be able to put this on anytime I want. If I want, <coughs> sorry, if I want to be able to have some, are you getting choked up or nope. is it the smoke? It's the smoke. It's the, <laughs> it's, the, it's, the, it's the cough trying to come out. Uh, for anyone, for anyone who may be listening to this in the future, the entire province of British Columbia is on fire right now. <laughs> yes. <laughs> There's actually a pretty big fire, like less than 30 kilometers away from yes. us. Toby Annel got evacuated like 30 minutes before we started this podcast. Yeah. I think. And yeah. Falkland and Westwold, which yeah, is got evacuated like today. a 20, 30 minute drive from here. Yeah. They got evacuated. So yeah. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> so the smoke is bothering me. So I, I can feel it right there. Hmm. Uh, there will be times I will need to cough. Hopefully, I can get to the mic in time. Yeah. I, I thought maybe you were just getting choked up because I know what a big fan of The Phantom Menace you are. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, so fanboys, definitely check it out. Okay. Going from a total fun movie that I thoroughly enjoyed to one that I did not. Oh. That is... Dwayne The Rock Johnson's new movie, Jungle Cruise. Oh, why did you do that to yourself? Well, me and Mushhead share a Disney Plus subscription. Okay. I'm the main I'm 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 who it's under. And then she ha she shares the cost with me so that her daughter can watch Disney Plus. So I get Disney Plus for a whole year for half price. When a premier access movie comes along, we've taken turns on buying them. Like I bought Black I knew I was gonna get Black Widow, mm-hmm. so I bought it. And uh, Ryan the Last Dragon, I bought it. And so she's like, well, stop buying them. She's like, or let me buy ones that come out. Or sometimes she'll message me, hey, there's, um, like, she's actually done it twice. The first one, she said her and her daughter wanted to watch Cruella. So she just sent me the money, and then I had to 
go in and, and unlock it because I'm the only one that has access to do that. So she's like, I want to watch Jungle Cruise. Sent me the money. So I unlocked it. And uh, just the other day, I was like, I want to watch something stupid. And I was like, well, I've paid for this Jungle Cruise. I might as well watch it. I don't have to go to the movies to watch it. So I put it on. So Jungle Cruise, based on Disneyland's theme park ride where a small riverboat takes a group of travelers through a jungle filled with dangerous animals and reptiles, but with a supernatural element. This stars Dwayne Johnson, Emily Blunt, Edgar Ramirez, and Jesse Plemons. They really dragged Emily Blunt into this, hey? <clears throat> you haven't seen 1999's The Mummy, have you? The Brendan Fraser film. No, which I'm sure Jordan is yelling at me through <laughs> through the podcast right now. I can't wait to watch that with you. Okay. That movie is a ton of fun. So I've heard. This movie had big mummy vibes at the beginning. In fact, the opening scene... Let me rephrase Emily Blunt's opening scene is a, however you want to feel about it, either a homage, homage or, or a blatant ripoff rip <laughs> of Rachel Weiss's opening scene in The Mummy. Okay. So I was like, okay. All right. I'm getting mummy vibes. Big time mummy vibes. In The Mummy, we have an adventurer, Brendan Fraser, who joins up with a highly intelligent female protagonist who is not well regarded in the academic community because she's a female who has a bumbling brother jungle cruise has dwayne the rock johnson as a adventurer who teams up with emily blunt's highly intelligent protagonist who has a bumbling brother yeah uncanny this movie is nowhere near as good as the mummy this movie is bad. I it takes a it takes a turn in tone. Hmm. Tone? Hmm. Theme? Hmm. I don't know how to say that. I'm gonna spoil this movie a little bit for you. I'm probably not gonna I'm not gonna it. I'm not gonna spoil a big part of this movie. Hmm. This movie takes a even though it says right there in the, it has a supernatural element. This movie takes a huge turn towards Pirates of the Caribbean level supernatural elements oh. that they don't truly set up at all in the movie. They mention it at the beginning, but you just think that it's just kind of part of the... The lore? Yes. The world the, building? The lore or the, um, the legend of what they are searching for, which yeah. is like this tree of life, this tree that blossoms these plants that have very life-saving powers that's that's what that's the MacGuffin. that's what they're searching for right okay but this takes a huge like davy jones dead pirates fantastical tour turn that is a little jarring when you watch it and the action scenes are forgettable the CGI is so over the top, it becomes distracting. There is a animated or CGI animated leopard, leopard, <laughs> leopard that uh, at no point do you ever believe is real. And it's in the movie quite a bit. Emily Blunt is sadly wasted in this movie. 
The Rock, sadly wasted in this movie. And the gentleman who plays the brother, Jack Whitehall, he's okay. This movie will appeal to younger children immensely. And I, what am I about to say? I do not mean to sound condescending to others. Yes, I'm talking to you, Rachel. <laughs> this movie is for people that are also looking or enjoy very simple, fun movies. Hmm. There's just not enough in this. I don't think there's any chemistry between The Rock and Emily Blunt. I don't really like the story. I don't particularly like the villains. I don't like how everything is CGI. I just didn't have a good time with this movie. I really hope that those people that did watch this and enjoyed it, power to you. I'm so happy for you. This movie is not for me. Two out of five. Do you know who Jaume Collette Sarah is, the director of this movie? Yeah, I do. Have you seen any of his other movies? Seen? Have I seen any of his other movies? I know he's done some horror films, so I obviously haven't seen those. Like, what, The Orphan, and what was the other big House one? of Wax was House the of other, Wax. yeah. Oh, I've seen one of his other movies. The Shallows? That I loved. Thank you. Yeah. The I, Shallows I, was a lot of fun. I've heard of this. It's with, a lot of fun. With Blake Lively. She uh, she gets stranded uh, 200 yards from shore and must use her wits to survive a, what is that, a great white shark attack? Yep. Is that what it says? Yeah. The Shallows? You get a chance to watch it? I don't even <laughs> think it's that long, if I'm not mistaken. It's thoroughly enjoyable. 86 minutes. Yeah. Yeah. I've I heard actually really good things upon its release. Yes. I never saw it. Yeah. Great. So much fun. <laughs> and then, yeah, he also did a bunch of um, uh, Liam Neeson movies. Yeah, unknown and nonstop. Oh, and, that, that and, one where and the commuter. <laughs> yeah, I'm not gonna lie. The first one, two, three, four, five, six movies in his filmography I've heard are pretty dumb. Yeah, Run All Night is in there. I've seen The Orphan actually a couple times. Good. No. Okay. <laughs> my my friends. Uh, I think I told you I had friends when I was probably like grade eight, grade nine, uh, like early teens. I had some friends who were really big in horror movies. And uh, they really liked Orphan. And uh, it's not very good at all. All right. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Well, Sam, avoid Jungle Cruise. Okay. Will do. Awesome. Which leads me to the last movie I'm going to talk about. One that I went in completely blind. All I'd heard from other podcasts I listened to and to reviews, not even deep reviews, just word of mouth was that this film, which had been put off because of COVID, was amazing. And that's the 2021 film The Green Knight, starring Dev Patel. It is a fantasy retelling of the medieval story of Sir Gawain, Gawain? Gawain and the Green Knight. The only thing I knew about this film going into it was that it starred Dev Patel and it was set in Arthurian times. That's all I knew. Thinking that, I'm like, I'm going to see this amazing Arthurian adventure. This movie is fucking weird. <laughs> this movie was nothing like I was anticipating. This movie leaves 
pardon me, so much for the viewer to interpret on their own that I was left bewildered. The pacing of this movie is slow, but not to the point of boredom, but teeters far too close for my liking. There are things that occur in this movie that have no repercussions later on. A whole scene happens where something major happens, but there's no repercussions for it, and it's never revisited. There is a whole scene where he comes across these mythological creatures that have no bearing whatsoever on the outcome or or anything. You're just left to interpret that scene for your own use whatsoever. The only reason to watch this movie is to watch the scene where Sir Gawain meets the Green Knight and then the ending, which I won't give away, but there is a... I don't even want to say that. The ending. So <laughs> I think it takes about... I think it takes about 20 minutes for him to meet the Green Knight. Then he goes on this very long adventure. Can I say it's adventure? It's an adventure. Let's say adventure. And then there's a good, I'd say maybe half hour ending or so. Those two parts are worth watching. The rest is you're, you're left scratching your head as to why did you have to watch that part to get <laughs> to this part? It was very confusing. That being said, Dev Patel's really good in it. This movie is beautiful to look at. This is the kind of movie that is very, 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 very artistic. And it goes above my ability to grasp at the themes and ideas that it's trying to convey. This, to me, is very similar in the way that I have a hard time interpreting Shakespeare. Hmm. I know that Shakespeare's good. This isn't, they're not speaking like Shakespeare. I don't mean to imply that. But like, I've read, I think, three Shakespeare plays, and I just cannot, I just can't seem to grasp them. This movie is similar in that way. It is very beautiful. It is very well done. It is beautiful to look at. But the things that it's trying to express are, they're going over my head. I just can't seem to grasp onto what this filmmaker is trying to say. I want to revisit this movie. I wouldn't be surprised to see this movie at the year-end awards for certain things. But it just it just went over my head. Hmm. I know that Jordan watched it. And from what I can see on her score on Letterboxd, she enjoyed it a lot more than I did. Hmm. I gave this a 3 out of 5. I bet you on a rewatch, maybe a four, but uh, it was it was really weird, Sam. It felt uh, felt kind of inaccessible, I guess would be for me. Yeah, for me, mm-hmm. I feel I think that you would probably have a better grasp of it. You seem to be able to grab, you seem to be able to to latch on to themes and ideas a lot better than I do. Oh, thank you. Yeah, you're welcome. <laughs> um, so I think that you might get a little bit more out of this film. I think this is a movie that you that you would probably enjoy. 
as long as you're going in knowing that that's the kind of movie you're going into. This is not an action-adventure movie, despite adventure being the first descriptor on IMDb. So hearing your spoiler-free review of this, yeah. another movie comes to mind. You tell me if your experience with The Green Knight was similar to your experience with this movie. Interesting. The Lighthouse. Oh. Yeah, oh. You seem to be using, like, I'm sure the subject matter and the tone is different, yes. but your descriptors of your experience and your perceived, or what you perceive to be what you should have experienced, Yes, the gap there seems to be very similar from The Green Knight to That's, The Lighthouse. Is that, yes. Is that making sense? Yes. Mm-hmm. Yes. Perfect. Okay. Got what it. was your enjoyment level of Lighthouse? Uh, higher than yours. Yes. Not uh, not overwhelmed. I can't remember if it made my list. If it did, it was low. I don't remember it, making your list. I don't think that it did. Yeah, I think I think it may have been a last minute cut from my best of the year. Um, but yeah, I, I enjoyed it. Okay, I would put this on your watch list, mm-hmm. Sam. I would love to hear your take on this. Cool. Yeah. I'll uh, I'll, I'll check it out. Um, real quick before we get off this, uh, how how do you feel generally about Dev Patel? Fan, big fan. Yeah. Uh, lion um love it great right fantastic <laughs> movie yeah, it's been one i've actually been meaning to go back to recently i only i actually watched that in theaters with uh with our mutual friend don webster shout out to don um yeah we watched that paramount back in back in the day and yeah what a movie it was you know hmm. i still haven't seen slumdog millionaire though really still haven't seen it no. hmm. i haven't seen it since uh since it came out were you were you whelmed? No, <laughs> no. It winning best picture was <clears throat> that was a rough year. Cause that was we started doing our best picture reviews uh, in the film year two thousand seven. Yeah, Some Dog would have been two thousand eight. Correct. So that's the that is the <laughs> that is the year year after we started doing our best picture reviews. Anyway, correct. Um, so I don't know what else was that year. The only one I know uh, that I know for a fact is Benjamin Button. Right, right. Which I'm sure was, that was my. That yeah, was, I'm sure that was your pick. Which I've also only seen once. Love, I only fucking love. Yes, it's a Fincher film. Obviously, I love it, but mm-hmm. I still love that movie. Mm-hmm. I think it's so incredibly well done. Yeah, yeah. That's yeah. what I've been watching, Sam. All right, cool. Green Knight. I'm. Uh, I'll add that to my watch list when I get a second. Wicked. Um, so I actually, I've been I've been pretty busy watching movies this week. Nice. Uh, just, um. There's one that I feel I should mention, even though we literally, any given week on the podcast, there's about a 50% chance that one of us has watched this movie. So I watched Booksmart this week What the fuck? (laughs) I feel like we've talked about Booksmart several, several times in the last couple of months. Um, On the eve of their high school graduation, two academic superstars and best friends realized they should have worked less and played more, determined not to fall short of their peers. Uh, the IMDb uh, <laughs> description just cut off on me. Determined not to sh- fall short of their peers, the girls try to cram four years of fun into one night. Um, if you've listened to the podcast at all, you know that Manny and I are both super high on this movie. It is one of our favorites. B- between the two of us, it's got to be one of our favorites of the last three years, five years. It. Okay, let me let me let me put it to this. <laughs> put it to you this way. In the time that we've done this podcast. Very few movies have come out. I can count on maybe one hand how many movies have come out that you and I have both liked better than this movie. I oh, guess. The, oh, okay. So like uh, for ones that we both since enjoy we, to since, this level. Since we started doing this podcast. Movies that have come out that we enjoy together more than this movie. I can only think of 
I can think of exactly one. I can think. Of, I can think of two. And 1917. Nope. Or do you have uh, you have 1917 higher or lower than this one. I do. Yeah, I'm not sure. It would be close. <laughs> I don't know if we enjoy uh, Endgame's. End, I had Endgame, two. Yep. Endgame is one. Yep. The <laughs> other one is Wind River. Yeah. It'd be close. Although Wind River technically came out before we started doing this podcast. That right? is true. Yeah. So I don't know. It'd be like a two horse race between yeah. Booksmart and Endgame for like our favorite movie since we've started doing the podcast. We keep saying that we should do this. Yeah. I have an idea. Okay. Allow me to propose it to you. All right. Let's do Booksmart for next year's anniversary episode. Sure. There it is. <laughs> it's on the books. <laughs> it's on the books. Um, I won't get too far into it. A, because we've talked about it so many times, and B, because we have just now booked it for next, what's that going to be, end of January? Yeah. Um, so I won't get into it too much. Um, oh my God, I'm so excited. <laughs> I think uh, in, in the year 2000, or when we were doing our 2019 review episode, uh, I had Caitlin Dever, who is one of the co-leads. Yep. I had her as my favorite female performance of the year. Yes. Manny had Beanie Feldstein, who is the other, as his, as far as I can remember. The winner? She didn't win. Oh, but she was nominated. Did I nominate her? I don't think I, don't think well, I, I did. I thought that you had. No. Okay, maybe, maybe I'm misremembering this. Regardless. I know that you definitely picked her as a winner, and I was so fucking happy. Yeah, Caitlin Dever is phenomenal in this movie. But what I wanted to point out is that... Um, I've probably seen Booksmart, uh, this is probably about time number four, I want to say. I might be a couple ahead of you. I, I think might be six, I might be six or seven. Yeah. Uh, what I what I realized this time around, like, I've always liked Beanie Feldstein's performance in this movie. I, I gained a new appreciation for it this time. I've I've always loved Caitlin Dever in this movie. This didn't That didn't change this time around. Yeah. But this time I found myself more watching for Beanie, kind of remembering that I had her second best in this movie. And I, I don't know. They're both so good. They're so good. Beanie Feldstein has a lot of excellent line deliveries. Uh, she has a lot of... Like, <sighs> when, she gets, when she gets angry at certain times, there's even a, a small moment of her... Uh, being frustrated because they're trying to get the address of this party and no one will give it to them. And just the way she looks down at her phone and gives like a little, I, it's a growl or something. She goes, give me the address without even like opening her teeth. <laughs> and something about it is so funny. Um, Can we just pre-record that episode <laughs> tomorrow and then do it again? So good. This movie is so, so good. good. Um, yeah, I said I wasn't going to say too much about it, and that's honestly more than I had intended to. Uh, Booksmart is so good. It's both in mine and Manny's favorite movies of the last five years, I would imagine. 100%. Um, yeah, Booksmart is five out of five for me still, and I'll speak for Manny and say it's five out of five for him too. It's fantastic comedy. Oh my god. Comedies like this don't come around every day. I'm so excited <laughs> for next year. I'm so excited. Uh... So Booksmart's a five, uh, and now on to a much worse movie. Um, oh, shitty. So uh, I mentioned earlier, Manny, that I had watched a lot more movies this week than I have in weeks past. Mm -hmm. uh, the reason for that is that uh, Emma's sister Faith is in town, <laughs> finally, at long last. And uh, we wanted to celebrate by watching movies that the three of us all really like. Uh, and those are Pixar movies. As oh. a matter of fact, uh, Faith's birthday is coming up at the end of August, and we decided that we want to do uh, all of the Pixar movies and then finish a, a Pixar rewatch on her birthday at the end of the month. Nice. Uh, so we have begun a Pixar rewatch while in the middle of an MCU rewatch. So things are about to get a little bit crazy and a little bit hectic. Ah, oh, Pixar rewatch. Yeah. 
And uh, Faith had the idea to Fuck. do it uh, chronologically oh. as well. So, uh, damn. We started with the movie that begins furthest back, which unfortunately I think you and I will both agree is one of the worst in the Pixar canon. That's The Good Dinosaur. What? That's not chronologically. What do you mean it's not chronological? What comes first? I'm talking oh, about... Oh, chronologically in regards to the... Like the timeline of the Pixar universe. <laughs> yeah. Some nerdy Ridiculous. shit. Ridiculous. I know. <laughs> oh my I'm God. I'm in favor. How? What? Yeah. Okay. Have you... Okay, I want to stick on this for a second. There's there's film... There's theories all over the internet of all Pixar movies are actually interconnected. Yeah, I've seen that. And, yeah, like, all that stuff. Faith buys in big time to all of that. It's I'm, fun. It's I'm, a fun theory. It's a fun thing to think about. So, uh, so we started on The Good Dinosaur, which is the first oh, chronological. I thought you were going to do them, like, release date chronologically. No, 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 that would have been a yeah. Little, that would have been interesting. The animation for me. would have been better and better and better and better. Yeah. And better. Uh, the good dinosaur. <laughs> uh, I know Manny has some strong <laughs> opinions about this one, i.e., in the not good direction. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so real quick, uh, in a world where dinosaurs and humans live side by side, an apatosaurus named Arlo makes an unlikely human friend. Um, I think I'll, I'll start with the worst. The worst thing I can say about this movie is that it is dull. It, I think Arlo is a weak man character, oh, yeah. and I don't think he has many redeeming qualities or even many qualities oh, yeah. other than being a dinosaur and being good. Oh, yeah. um, I think Arlo is a boring main character. I think Spot, the human sidekick, is a lower tier sidekick, but not bad. Has some funny moments. I can agree with that. Um, some of the best comedy comes from him. I can the agree with that. The best thing about the good dinosaur is the visuals. Uh, it is visually spectacular. Uh, from what Faith told me, again, she's a diehard Pixar fan, uh, so I'll take her word for it. It took something like six years to animate um, because the nature shots in this movie are just breathtakingly gorgeous. There's a couple of sequences with some fireflies that I really like the look of. There is a about a five to ten second shot of a leaf with rainwater dripping off of it that apparently took several months to animate. Um, that uh, all of the nature shots and the shots of the water are also fantastic, but the movie's just kind of boring. That's the that's the worst thing I can say about it. It doesn't grab my attention like the other Pixar movies. I don't think it's. I wouldn't use the B word bad, uh, but I think Manny would. Yeah, I think he would use the. I think you've actually called this movie, and I I think this is a direct quote, a piece of shit before. Yeah, that is a direct quote. That's a direct quote. I think, I think this. this I think shit. this movie is a piece of shit. Hmm. I. Unless I do a Pixar rewatch, which you now have me intrigued about, right? Yeah, I will never rewatch this movie, mm-hmm. ever. Unless I get like ten years down the road, I'm like this is, this could end up being like, um, fuck, what's that piece of shit movie we watched <laughs> that I keep going back to, and I'm like, why did I do this? Uh, Secrets uh, and Lies. No, no, Secrets and Lies was the first time watch. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, oh god damn it it's about the upstairs and downstairs of British people oh like uh, Downton Abbey yeah but <laughs> Downton Abbey was based off of the movie we watched Gosford Park <laughs> <laughs> that, was a, that was a road to get there yes <laughs> the good dinosaur could end up becoming my Gosford Park meaning what meaning that I'd be like I'll forget how much I didn't like it uh, and then I'll watch it I'd be like oh this is a piece of shit <laughs> like yeah. right now in my mind I'm like was Gosford Park as bad as I remember yeah I barely remember anything about Gosford Park. Because it was bad! 
good. Yeah, it was boring. It was dull. Nothing happened. Good dinosaurs, the same fucking thing. <laughs> I gave Good Dinosaur a three. It's what still, the fuck? It's still Pixar. It still has its oh, yeah. moments, um, and the animation is still Pixar. It's still breathtaking. Wow. Breathtaking. Wow. Uh, but yeah, it, it's only a three for me. Samuel. And uh, I think I think you you gave it a two probably. Yeah. Yeah. Um, next chronologically for Pixar. Uh, oh, can I guess? Yeah. Brave. Yes. Nice. Uh, determined to make her own path in life, Princess Merida defies a custom that brings chaos to her kingdom. Granted one wish, Merida must rely on her bravery and her archery skills to undo a beastly curse. Now, this is actually one of the few Pixar movies remaining that I had not seen. I've only seen this once. This was my very first watch, and I knew next to nothing about it. Um, so I was interested. One of my favorite things about Pixar is that most of their movies, most of the best ones anyway, have a reason to be animated and just have a reason to be told in general. Um, I didn't really get that with Brave. And that's that, I know that sounds like an incredibly harsh criticism, but I w- what I mean by that is... I just was watching it. I'm like, I don't know why Pixar had to make this movie. I don't know why this one had to be animated. I don't know why it had to be. Like, I, I don't know why. I, like, there is a large section with the talking bear, yes. But, like, the majority of the movie just felt like it could have been. I, I don't know. It, it felt very. It felt reminiscent of sort of the dark age of 2D Disney animation. It felt reminiscent sort of of, you know, the Black Cauldron age, like late 80s before like uh before the renaissance yeah before the renaissance before like little mermaid and aladdin and uh lion king and all that it felt reminiscent of that sort of uh it just for me it kind of lacked a little bit of charm i think merit is a great character and she's really interesting and apparently the animation on her hair was just (laughs) incredibly difficult to do which i can understand the plot didn't particularly grab me um it's funny having seen soul uh, which just came out this past year. This is a movie that I really liked. There's a long sequence with a talking animal in that movie. Uh, going back and watching Brave, there is a large section with uh, with an not a talking animal, but an anthropomorphic animal, which I believe is the proper pronunciation. That of is that well word. done. <laughs> Had to sound that one out a little bit. Um, it just uh, the the comedy that comes from the the humanized animal just did not did not do it for me just didn't really do it for me the the humor that comes from uh the there's a word for this hold on the 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 humor that comes from the uh barbarism is that that the Mm -hmm. word Mm -hmm. sure uh the humor that comes from the barbarism of the scots also did not do it for me okay uh humor kind of lacked I'm trying to think of an honest reason to give this a three, but as I'm talking about it, it just, it, the charm was not there for me as much. I, I feel forced to give this a two, probably. Holy fuck, the good dinosaur gets a three. Wow. You wow. said you've only, you've only seen Brave once, and prob- probably in, what was that, 2009 when it came out? 2000, or 2012, sorry, I'm a few years off. Do you, do you have any defenses for this movie? I have to revisit it. Do you remember liking it upon its release? Yes. Really? Yeah. In, in my mind, 
without a rewatch, it's an easy through. Hmm. So I'll have to revisit it to give you an, an informed decision. But as you're talking about this, I can't believe that this is getting a two and a fucking good dinosaur gets a three. Good dinosaur's fine. It's I, harmless. Uh, fine and harmless is no way a three. <laughs> when it has Pixar-level animation, it does. Brave has the... Uh the disadvantage of coming several years before the good dinosaur so its animation is not quite up to snuff all right okay <laughs> this hurts sorry man it's all good uh last one now we broke our uh, our chronological um rule because what started us on the even topic of discussing doing a pixar rewatch is that we felt we had to watch luca we felt that we had to uh to watch the 2021 movie about uh, on the Italian Riviera, an unlikely but strong friendship grows between a human being and a sea monster disguised as a human. Um, so I know Manny has seen this. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't think we've talked about it a whole lot uh, because he, he's known that I would uh, I was making plans to watch this. Has a 71 Metascore. Um, what can I say about Luca? I had a pretty good time. This is a movie that I think has a lot of charm. I think that the friendship between um, oh I don't have the characters' names in front of me right now, um, Lu- well obviously Luca and Alberto, mm-hmm. their friendship is one that is very charming and very fun, very wholesome, and very nice. Even though Alberto is a bit of a, uh, for lack of a better term, bit of a fuckface mm-hmm. uh, for a lot of the movie. Uh, there's a character introduced, I think in the second act, named Julia, who is a delight. In my opinion, she she lights up the movie. Uh, I think the uh, the animation is certainly a different style mm-hmm. than I'm used to in Pixar. I'm just kind of we we've been spoiled of just having a natural progression of Pixar movies just getting better and more detailed and more beautiful constantly throughout. Yep. I think Luca honestly kind of breaks that trend. The animation is not bad by any stretch of the imagination. Uh, it's just not an improvement over something like, let's say, Toy Story 4. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's a different animation style. They intentionally went a little bit more of a cartoonish and childish route with it. Mm-hmm. A lot more bright colors, uh, a lot more childish imagery and kid-friendly imagery. And you know what? I think it adds to the charms of the movie. I don't think this is one that people are going to watch and say, wow, look how beautiful this movie is. Um, but I think... The charms of the friendship between Alberto and Luca, as well as uh, just the general charm of Julia, really, uh, really drew me in. This isn't one for the ages. It's not upper echelon Pixar. Uh, but I had a good time. And I think Manny is going to tell me why I am wrong in just a moment, but I give it a four. What the fuck? <laughs> Jesus Christ. Wow. I think Luca's bottom tier Pixar. Really? Yeah. It's down there with uh, with Brave and the Good Dinosaur? Yeah. Really? 100%. Hmm. Yep. It did not resonate with me at all. I found the storytelling to be tedious. I found the... yeah. Obviously, it looks great. Like, is Pixar capable of making an ugly-looking movie? I doubt it now. This just was boring Hmm. to me i just i didn't like it i i shouldn't say boring it's not that's i didn't give it a feeling great i gave it a three 
but for me that's a that's bottom tier pixar this would be pixar's at what 22 films yeah anything below a four would be considered bottom tier pixar i think so so by definition if you give it a three then it's i think bottom yeah tier so we're talking so 22 so like like even a bottom quarter that puts it in the bottom five or six i think i could put it there pretty easy it'd be down there with like cars two and three and the oh, good man. dinosaur trying to think what other pixar movies that it obviously all the toy stories you didn't like bug's life so you might yeah you, I and, would... I, you and i would differ there mm-hmm. <sighs> it's obviously this is nowhere near the same level as coco and inside out no and the mon both i i obviously monsters inc and monsters university i enjoyed more than luca mm-hmm. i bet you i even liked onward more than i like luca really yeah oh man i i liked luca i think more than i liked onward. i was a fucking onward while not great hmm. has a powerful ending the ending of onward yeah especially uh, luca didn't come anywhere. as somebody who is very close with his older brother the ending of onward uh the, I think it's sort of the flashback of the of the two brothers, the times they've experienced. Yeah, that mm, that the, hit the that hit home. Ending of Onward is the beginning of Up. Oh, that ew, that's some high praise, and it's, I don't know if I can agree with you, but it is very good. Yeah, it's very good. This is this is my thing, and this is going to be a controversial take. Hmm. Most of Onward's not great. The ending makes Onward worth it. Okay. The beginning of Up is good. The rest of the movie doesn't live up to the beginning. I, it's funny. I agree with you. I, I absolutely agree with you. Um, I don't think the rest of Up is bad. I don't think it's bad either. I don't it's, think Up is a bad movie. I, uh, Sorry to cut you off. Mm-hmm. I'm not saying that Up and Onward are, are – are, like, Up is easily a better film than Onward. Yes. But my – the height of Up, that beginning, that movie never comes close to reaching that again. So the whole time I'm watching Up, I'm like, I just keep thinking back to that part. I'm still enjoying Up, and it's fun and all that. Onward, I'm like, oh, my God, this is not that great. And then the ending is just devastatingly delightful. Hmm. I think I'm going to have to do a fucking Pixar rewatch. Let's let's do this here. Um, So... From what I can tell on Wikipedia, there are 24 to 24. date. To date, 24 Pixar movies that have been released. So the bottom quarter would be bottom six. I can guarantee you Luca's in the bottom six. No way. Uh, I I was I was about to divide it into thirds, and I don't know if Luca would be in the bottom Bottom third? third? Easy uh, in the bottom uh, third. Okay, so I'll note here that uh, we have upcoming the movie Turning Red and Lightyear, which you and I, we do not live in a universe right now where those movies exist. We don't live in a universe where we've seen those movies. So, I mean, I just listed off Good Dinosaur and Brave as movies that are uh, that I did not enjoy as much as Luca. Um, I haven't seen all three Cars movies. I've seen the first one, and I've heard it's the best of the three, so I'm automatically going to put all three worse than Luca. So that's five already right there <laughs> that, are, that I didn't enjoy as much as Luca. Um, a Bug's Life, you're correct. Um, yeah. I would put that below. Uh, that's six. I would not. So that already takes it out of the bottom quarter for me. Um, I could struggle. To, I mean, I could I could probably find two more. Finding Dory. Nope. Uh, nope. would be close. Still enjoyed Finding Dory more than Onward would also be close because you, you made a good point about the ending of that movie really being spectacular. Um, so I probably agree with you on there. Um, 
So, I mean, I can get on board with it being outside the bottom quarter. I think Ratatouille's underrated. Um, Ratatouille's, one, it's, Ratatouille's in the top. Yeah, Ratatouille's incredible. Um, Monsters University I haven't seen since theaters. I don't know if I can make an assessment. But I, I think at least Monsters University, Finding Dory, and Onward would be close. No. Of sort of the tier where I put not Luca. In, not in my opinion. Okay. Luca would be at the bottom. All right. I don't see myself ever rewatching Luca. Oh, that's too bad. Not really. <laughs> oh, that's too bad. Okay. Well, I'm gl- I'm so glad that you enjoyed it. A 4 out of 5 is mind-boggling to me. Did you give it a 3? Yeah. Well, I mean, one star off, some mind-boggling. There's a big difference between a 3 and a 4. Yeah. As you've so many times stated. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Uh, okay, so that's uh, that's Luca. I do have one more movie that I've watched, non-Pixar. Oh, right. uh, save this for last. Uh, it's one that I don't think you and I have ever talked about. It's one that uh, Emma has recommended to me many times that uh, she decided last night would be a good time to oh, watch. Is, it, is it Uptown Girls? No, it's not. <laughs> is it on the same level as Uptown Girls? No, it's far better. Okay. Far better. The Florida Project. I haven't seen it. No? No. Oh, that's too bad. Um, Set over one summer, the film follows precocious six-year-old Mooney as she courts mischief, ends an adventure with her ragtag playmates, and bonds with her rebellious but caring mother, all while living in the shadows of Walt Disney World. Manny, Metascore, 92. I know. That is is insanely high. Um, I don't see that. I'll just get that out of the way right now. I don't see that. Um, I very much now understand having watched this and knowing Emma, why she would relate to this movie so hard Mm -hmm. and why she would enjoy it the way that she does. This sounds like I'm leading up to a however, but it's not, it's, it's a great movie. Mm -hmm. Um, I didn't connect to it in the same way that she, uh, probably hoped that I would have. Um, but it's a, it's a really well done movie. The director and writer, Sean Baker, uh, does a really good job of integrating uh he does a really good job of doing something that is very risky and that i think you and i both sort of were iffy on chloe zhao for doing which is integrating real people Mm. into the movie so if you if you don't know anything about the florida project manny it's about a a hotel motel uh, i know all about i know all about it okay I i just haven't seen the movie uh they they do include real people from this motel um and I think the prime, even though it doesn't mention it, the, the, the IMDb synopsis only included the kids. Uh, it is largely about them, but honestly, I think the movie, um, the, the main conflict is, uh, I, I think the main character is Haley, who's the mother of Mooney. Mm-hmm. Uh, she's a, a very young mother and uh, is in poverty and is clearly not fit to be a mother very clearly just wants to live her live her party life and hang out and get drunk and smoke and oh, wow it reminds me of somebody yeah i would love to call them out on this fucking episode right now now i'm intrigued <laughs> um but they're, they're oh my just, god they're clearly just not fit to be a mother um and the movie because of this you may have guessed just by listening if you haven't seen the movie dear listener that this movie is really sad it's really, really sad, and it's a movie about the vicious cycle of poverty. It's a movie about the cycle of abuse. It's a movie about how an unfit mother or an unfit parent in general can fuck up their kid in such an irreparable way that that, that then that child will go on to be uh, an unfit parent themselves, and the cycle will continue and continue and continue. It's a really sad, really upsetting, really eye-opening story. 
and I'm I, I'm glad that I watched it. It didn't resonate with me quite the way that I I would have hoped it would have, but I get it. I get the movie. It's well made. Willem Dafoe uh, is in the movie as well. Did he? I can't remember if he got nominated. I think that he did. Man, he's nodding at everyone me right was, now. Everyone was hoping he was going to win. Yeah, it's a it's a good performance. I uh, I have no problems with that nomination. Um, but it didn't like this is a movie where I think a particular kind of person uh, from a particular kind of upbringing may be able to see a large chunk of themselves in this movie. Um, I'll I'll say right now I grew a sheltered little fucking upbringing in the suburbs. Uh, I cannot relate to a lot of the stuff that happens in this movie thank god for that i've had a very privileged upbringing and i have no no uh no delusions about having had a very hard childhood as the children in this movie very clearly do uh the director gets excellent child performances out of his actors i think a lot of the dialogue is just improvised i think a lot of it is just pointing a camera at kids and getting them to say wacky shit. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, it works. And the the editing uh, is clearly saving the day here because if you just have a bunch of random dialogue from kids and you need to get to string together a movie, there's a really good chance it's going to come out seeming disjointed. It doesn't. It's really seamless and it's really good. I give Florida Project a four. Um, and I, I think it's worth watching, but it's, it's a very upsetting, very sad movie. <laughs> it's a very sad movie. No doubt about that. I think Chards loves this movie. Yeah. I'm pretty sure I remember him talking about it. I would, like, I don't want to say that this movie is only for a particular kind of person or anything like that, but I think this movie will resonate with people who grew up in poverty and people who maybe grew up in abusive households or anything of that nature. Uh, People who had a tough childhood, I think, will find a piece of themselves in this movie. I Mm. really do. I've heard great things. Yeah, it's very it's very good. It just I'm I don't think I'm the target demo for it is is the way of saying it. Fair enough. Yeah. Fair enough. And that's what I've been watching this week, Manny. All right. Uh, just a heads up. Uh, Defoe lost to your boy Sam Rockwell. Yeah, so for- fuck him. <laughs> <laughs> Perfection. All right. It's time. We did it. We're here. We're here. Took us an hour and eight. To get here. Okay. Now it's just smooth sailing from here on out. Smooth sailing for the next three hours. It's the last film we're talking about for 1994. We saved it for last. And by we, I mean me. Hmm. On purpose. The film we're talking about is Pulp Fiction. Released October 14th, 1994. Written and directed by Quentin Tarantino with a story by credit with Roger Avery as well. Starring John Travolta, Samuel L. Jackson, Bruce Willis, and Uma Thurman. Has a Metascore of 94. It won one Oscar for Best Original Screenplay and had six other nominations, including Best Picture, Best Actor for John Travolta, Best Supporting Actor for Samuel L. Jackson, Best Supporting Actress for Uma Thurman, Best Director for Tarantino, and Best Film Editing. Had a budget of $8 million. Did it recoup that at the box office? <laughs> it grossed 107 in the U.S. Okay. and 213 worldwide. So it did, in fact, recoup that budget. A little Got bit. It. The plot, the lives of two mob hitmen, a boxer, a gangster and his wife, and a pair of diner bandits intertwine in four tales of violence and redemption. Sam, i am got a lot to say, so why don't you share your spoiler-free discussion on Pulp Fiction 
before I go on a very long soliloquy. Yeah, I think I'll uh, I'll keep this sort of brief because I think we're both kind of itching to to (laughs) delve into this thing. Um, I don't remember my first time watching Pulp Fiction. Okay. Um, I think I know that's something you always like to to find out about what my initial experience was. I genuinely don't remember. I have to imagine it was sometime in my mid mid to late teens. Uh, I've seen Pulp Fiction, you know, a reasonable amount of times. Not probably what you would consider reasonable for this movie, but reasonable nonetheless. I'm going to say probably less than double digits, but enough to be counted on two hands. So, like, I'm going to say seven, eight times I've seen Pulp Fiction. Um, When I was researching uh, Pulp Fiction before this, I found a great quote from Gene Siskel, who said this about this movie, which is, Great movies criticize other movies it's difficult for me having been born two years after this movie's release to imagine the exact impact that it had i have always lived in a world where pulp fiction and therefore its influence on cinema have always already existed yes so it's difficult for me to imagine uh just how much of a watershed movie this is yes with that being said i do understand that uh movies like this were not made <laughs> this this is one that people at the time even knew this changes everything yes um that quote from gene siskel great movies criticize other movies um is i mean it's what tarantino has always done of course this was only his second movie at the time but um what it does is um just take as much pop culture as possible and jam it into this movie and shows us our characters through uh their interaction with all of all of these tropes uh people wearing particular band t-shirts or making references to certain tv shows or just the nature of pilots in general the characters in the movie their interactions with these pop culture phenomena are an insight into their character which is something that i don't think people were doing uh before this and manny is shaking his head at me um so I don't have a lot else to say other than the obvious. This movie is fucking fun as hell. It's not my favorite Tarantino movie. My favorite movie of all time is a different Quentin Tarantino movie, Inglorious Bastards. Um, I think when we did our Tarantino episode, I listed this third. Hmm. It was either second or third. I can't remember if I had it uh, above Django or if Django was before it. I may have to go back and check. But it's among my favorites. I remember thinking on my maybe not my first watch but early watches i just remember thinking it's good i just don't get it i don't get it (laughs) i don't get the the life-changing watershed movie changes cinema forever because how could i correct how could i yeah um the more i talk to you the more i watch the movie the more i feel like i do get it but i still feel like there's a part of me that doesn't get it and Mm -hmm. i'm saying capital i i don't fully understand the ramifications of this movie so i'm hoping that today manny and i know that you will i'm hoping that you will educate me i'm hoping that you give me an insight into uh what cinema was before and after this movie i hope you give me an insight into who you were before and after this movie uh and i hope you can tell me a little bit more about pulp fiction um i'll close by saying that in nine movies that Tarantino has made, his dialogue has always been fantastic, but his dialogue in this movie is probably still his most iconic. A lot of people would argue that this is still Tarantino's best movie. I think most people actually who know about film would probably argue that um, 
he knocked it out of the park with the second movie ever and hasn't re-reached these heights since because how could he um yeah i think i'll leave it at that it's super important super interesting super entertaining super fun movie and i can't wait to get into the specifics go Whew. that was excellent <clears throat> this is my all-time favorite movie so i have a lot to say Prior to Pulp Fiction, like I mentioned before when we reviewed the movie The Last of the Mohicans, The Last of the Mohicans was my favorite movie before Pulp Fiction. The Last of the Mohicans changed my view on movies. The Last of the Mohicans is, and this I've said it numerous times, it, it will sound pretentious, but it's the best way for me to describe it. Last Mohican sent me along the path from enjoying movies to loving film. That started me on the path, and that was 1992. A couple movies in 93 come along. I didn't catch Reservoir Dogs until probably just before I started watching Pulp Fiction. Pulp Fiction comes out October 14th, 1994. If that date sounds familiar, to give you an idea of how great cinema was, that's the same release date as Shawshank Redemption. Come on. <laughs> Come on. <laughs> Sadly, I didn't catch Shawshank at that time. It didn't come to Gallup's. <laughs> I had to wait until it was re-released after the Oscar nominations. The only reason I went and saw this movie was at the time... My favorite actor was Bruce Willis, who was on a run of very bad movies. So I said, oh, he's in a new movie. I'm going to check it out. I saw it opening weekend. As I was sitting in the theater, we have the opening scene, Pumpkin and Honey Buddy. I re I'm like, okay, what the fuck's this movie about? It's weird. Boom. Pulp Fiction. Splashed on sign. Miserloo comes over loudly, proclaiming this movie, capturing my attention. I was like, interesting. Okay. Immediately after that, we have, and we're going to, trust me, I'm, going, I'm talking about it now. I'm going to go even more in depth. Fucking buckle up because we're in for a long fucking ride. Jules and Vincent driving in a car talking about drugs in Amsterdam, fast food restaurants in Europe. They are talking about nothing important. They continue to talk about nothing important, except for one moment where they talk about when they stop and they talk about where they're going into this apartment to grab their guns. And then boom, they go back to talking about nothing important. They're talking about Mia Wallace and pilots and foot massages. And the whole time, I'm going, what the fuck am I watching? I am riveted by this dialogue. I'd never seen anything like this before. These movie characters talking about things that have nothing to do with the movie I'm watching and yet give us an insight into the type of person they are and the depths of their character I'm riveted by dialogue. This had never happened to me before. 
and I couldn't believe what I was watching. As the movie continues, a little spoiler for Pulp Fiction is it's told in a nonlinear fashion. This, while it had been done numerous times before, this is the movie that brought it to the forefront of pop culture and the average moviegoer. Yes, it happened in Citizen Kane, but I can guarantee you more people have seen Pulp Fiction than Citizen Kane, your average moviegoer. Because Pulp Fiction is a, for the average moviegoer, is a much more entertaining film than Citizen Kane. Mm -hmm. And that's what Quentin did, is he brought all these incredible movie skills and showed them to the world. The nonlinear storytelling, the incredible dialogue, the different angle that, you know, his inside the car trunk shot is now iconic for him. His use of framing um, is unbelievable. As numerous times we watch characters on the other side of a doorway, building up tension, letting us think that we're listening in on a secret conversation. It's all these subtle things that he did that had been done numerous times before, but never in this way. I was jaw-dropped at the end of this film. I'd never had a movie before have me on the edge of my seat with nothing but dialogue. Because let's be honest, what is the plot of Pulp Fiction? It doesn't really have one. There is no real point to this movie. There's no underlying... Th if you want to dive in deep, I'm sure you can find some underlying themes. This movie's not trying to tell you anything. It doesn't have a message. It is literally four kind of stories all smashing into one another and allowing Quentin to showcase some incredible acting, some mind-blowing dialogue, and introducing the world to all these great cinematic flourishes that we weren't fully aware of because they were in art films. These are all the films that he watched and enjoyed when he worked in that video clerk store. I think it was called Video Archive. Mm. This movie changed everything. After this movie comes out, all the Pulp Fiction, all the Pulp Fiction ripoffs start coming out. Two Days in the Valley. Things to do in Denver when you're dead. Reindeer Games. All of a sudden, all these hitmen have to have some type of weird take on some, something pop culture. All of a sudden, everything has to be cool. It's his second movie he's ever made, and within months of its release, the term Tarantino-esque is already out there in the vernacular. This changed the world of cinema forever. And so, like you said, you've grown up in a world post-pulp fiction, so you can't completely understand the way it changed movies because the movies had already been changed. So all the movies you watched and grew up with have already had the influence of this film. So when I tell people, Pulp Fiction is my, my favorite movie of all time, they're like, oh my God, I, people are like, oh, I haven't seen it. I'd be like, I'd be happy for you to watch it, but it's not going to resonate with you the way it did with me because you've watched all the movies since it came out. So you're not going to be blown away the way I was when this fucking almost punk rock of a film came in and changed the way everything was done and the way everything was shot and the way everything was written. 
this movie was a complete departure from everything that was going on and it was a welcome addition the other things that added to this is this this is when independent film was at its best so the same year this comes out clerks comes out and clerks is pulp fiction on a lower scale sadly i didn't get to watch clerks until 95 or so because it was such a small film i had to wait for home video and i think i i think i can't remember how i stumbled across it but the things with clerks which we'll talk about in just a couple of weeks is with clerks they're having the type of conversation that you have with your friends and same with pulp fiction these are conversations that you have with the people you know except it's happening on a movie on the big screen you'd never seen this before people talking about stupid unimportant things as they're on their way to go do something that might be important and that's the significance of pulp fiction and this still holds the record for the most movie i've most times i've ever seen a movie in theater at eight or nine it's up there i think mohicans is second with six this movie means a lot to me and while it is my favorite movie i i can be fairly certain it's definitely not the one i've watched the most that would be back to the future back to the future also has like a nine or 11 year head start on it nine 85 i i think it's probably been about three two or three years since i watched pulp fiction as I was watching it, I found it hard to take notes because all I was doing was reciting the dialogue along with them. It was so delightful to revisit this movie and just remind myself on why I love it and why it's so good. This movie, you and I continue to praise, and in our opinions, rightfully so, Aaron Sorkin. Mm-hmm. There's a difference between an Aaron Sorkin script and a Tarantino. The one thing I notice a lot about Pulp Fiction is most of the great dialogue is just two people talking. Sorkin does well with a little bit more of multiple characters. Some crosstalk. Yeah. But Tarantino really does well with two people, especially when they're alone. And this movie is a lot of just two people talking to one another. <laughs> and it's mind-blowing to me, the more I think about it, that, again, this movie doesn't have a point. It's just these random characters that happen to collide into one another over the course of a couple days. I fucking love this movie. <laughs> and I can't wait to break down every minuscule detail of this film oh yeah no no stone unturned in this one yeah this was the most notes i've ever taken um it's got a i hope there for me too i, I hope that that gives you an idea of what this film made meant it, to me it does it does that help does that was roughly what i was hoping for okay um i actually before we even get into non-spoilers i just want to ask you while it's in my head yes yeah. um i'm curious if this movie has ever come close to being dethroned no I can tell you this, the, the, the closest it's ever been dethroned is actually recently mm-hmm. with Back to the Future. Back Re- to the, I remember when we were reviewing it, you were, you were 
wondering if it, if it had a chance to get yeah. to number one. My affection for Back to the Future, uh, I think maybe as I get older, I'm starting to, I'm starting to get a lot more nostalgic, mm-hmm. and I'm finding that I really want to have a lot of positive things in my life. I want to enjoy things. I don't really want to waste my time with things that aren't fun or enjoyable. And Back to the Future does nothing but bring me joy and happiness. And so because it's so fun and so enjoyable, I thought Back to the Future might be able to jump from three to one. This rewatching ain't happening. Yeah, I mean, the... (laughs) I would I would add on to that and say I have now watched Back to the Future um, and enjoyed the shit out of it. Um, I would say the difference in experience, at least for me, with those movies is Pulp Fiction. While you're correct that thematically there's not a ton to dissect, it's just it's just a very uh, groundbreaking and thought provoking and interesting movie. <clears throat> uh, the emotions that it takes you through, you experience some like a ton of joy naturally yes, yes. but also disgust and anticipation and um you know a lot a lot of conflicting emotions yes. some negative some positive all all of course in the nature of good fun but there's, there's sort of a, a wider variety yeah whereas in back to the future i feel like it's just like fun just yeah. fun 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 right top to bottom so it's a different kind of enjoyment agreed naturally agreed um i i also just wanted to ask you to what extent you think the time in your life played a part in i mean it's it's amazing it's an amazing coincidence on first blush that your two favorite movies ever came out on the same day yes that's that's an amazing coincidence (laughs) i mean of course no deriding either of them they're both spectacular picks and both spectacular films and we've talked about shawshank before but i i'm curious to what extent you think the time, the timing in your life played in those two specifically being your favorite movies. Of it's all time. Ma- it's massive. Yeah, it's massive because I would have been nineteen. Actually, I would have. I only would have been eighteen when this came out. Mm. I would have been eighteen, turning nineteen, because I turned. Uh, I would have turned nineteen in December. So, like I said, <clears throat> two years prior, Last Mohicans opened my eyes to the difference into a whole new world of movies. And so, from ninety two to ninety four, from ninety two when I watched it. Till October 14th, 1994, I started exploring more about movies. It wasn't all about <clears throat> it wasn't all about Bruce Willis and Arnold Schwarzenegger and Sylvester Stallone action films or sci-fi films. I started looking into more of what are considered the classics and started exploring and started taking a look at more different types of movies than I had before. So I'm still at a very impressionable age. So when Pulp Fiction came out, and while yes. Like I said, Shawshank came out the same weekend. I didn't see it for another about five months. So October, November, December, January. I would have seen it just either January or February when it came back into Kamloops after the Oscar nominations had come out. So within five months, um, Shawshank didn't immediately jump to number two. Shawshank worked its way up there. Mm-hmm. Um, it was just it was basically probably about a year after that when it hit home video, and I started watching it more and more and more that Shawshank started climbing the charts. Pulp Fiction, when I left the theater, went from 1,332 to 1. When I left Pulp Fiction, it was my favorite movie. Hmm. The moment I left the theater. And the it's first watch. The first watch. When I left, when I came out of the theater, I, I, kinda, I don't remember who I was with. I think I might have been, been with my high school sweetheart, Shyla. Maybe. 
who knows? We had a very tumultuous relationship for a while. <laughs> a lot, a lot, of, a lot of on and offs. Hey, Shyla, how's it going? Yeah, she's not listening. Oh, okay, cool. I think she's, I think she's mad at me. Who knows? She's not listening, anyways. It's been a long time. And if she is, hey, Shy, hope you're doing well. <laughs> uh, so, your daughter Maya, yeah, has, has uh, actually <laughs> currently holds uh, her own personal record. Of I think six weeks with one movie being her number one of all time. That's Sailor Moon. Yeah, uh, roughly six weeks. I it could be off, uh, give or, give or take a, a week in either direction. Um, Pulp Fiction for you, you're saying is what is that? Twenty seven uninterrupted years at number one. Nearly? Yeah, that's pretty crazy. Yeah. Oh, hold on. So let's. Uh, where are we here? Uh, here we go. All right. So it's roughly. 1,404 weeks on top of the charts. Yeah, that's pretty good. Yeah, uninterrupted, nothing has come close. Come close, except for, I would say, within the last year, Back to the Future made a little bit of a, a run, met them in the main event, and got knocked out in the first round. <laughs> <laughs> All right, well, that's. I just wanted to ask you some of those yeah. uh, preliminary questions before we dive into the nitty-gritty, but Manny... This is your favorite movie of all time. I would be honored if you took us into spoilers, please. <laughs> all right, spoilers for Pulp Fiction in three, two, one. Go fuck yourself. All right, jump on board. Sam, chime in with whatever you want. You do your thing, Manny. All right, first up, we got Pumpkin and Honey Bunny in the diner. Um, I actually, even before, I want you to guess what my first note is. Like in, in in my in all of my notes that I took chronologically as the movie's going. Yeah. Do you know what my first note is? I'm so excited to watch this. I mean, good guess, but no. Oh, uh, it's all caps. Boo, Miramax. Boo. <laughs> <laughs> I have a note on them later on. Oh, good. Okay. Yep. Uh, yeah. Pumpkin and Honey Bunny. Um. Like I said, when I first watched this, I was so confused as to what i was watching one of the delights about re-watching this movie and like i said the convoluted timeline that this movie has in its storytelling was groundbreaking in regards to again like i said the general audience i am not anywhere implying that quentin was the first to do this mm -hmm. i know that he's not but again what he did is he brought it into a general audience. So a lot of people weren't aware of this type of storytelling. So when you watch it the first time, very similar, again, a little before your time, but you'll, you can understand this is the sixth sense. When people watched it and they're the end reveal, I won't spoil it. Mm. So many people went back to try and find the clues. So with Pulp Fiction, when you start watching it more, you can start to see things that you missed the first time. So in this opening scene, if you listen carefully, you can hear Jules talking. In this scene, you can see John Travolta going to the bathroom. You can see it. And it's delightful mm -hmm. when you notice these things and when you're aware of them. Small details. Small details, like we say. Go ahead. Uh... Correct me if I'm wrong, but I believe the first line of the movie is "Forget it, it's too risky." Correct. I think that I think that's a great first line. I think that's instantly. I mean, that's Tarantino being the great screenwriter that he is. He 
takes use of the first line right from the get-go that just that's a line that just piques your interest right what what's too risky who are these people why like they're talking about some dangerous thing in a diner what what are they planning it's very intriguing right from the get-go i actually want to point out one other thing as well sure chronologically this movie ends with butch and fabian driving away on the chopper that's if you watch the movie chronologically that's where the movie ends yeah I don't know if you picked up on it, but the first sound you hear is actually a chopper. Oh. If you listen carefully when the movie starts, just you close your eyes, you will hear a chopper driving by. Not like, You'll just hear the sound of a motorcycle before the first words of dialogue. Oh. Yeah. Interesting. Yes. <laughs> yes. Again, the little things that you see. So the movie is bookended by the sounds of a chopper driving. Mm-hmm. So, yes. Um, we're introduced to these two characters. Uh a very iconic line from this scene is Garcon means boy. Yeah. <laughs> it, this shows the, this, this displays the incredible writing of Tarantino and his ability of, as a director from watching all of those movies as a video store clerk to be able to use these types of things to set things up later. That line and the way it's performed by Tim Roth and the and the waitress stands out. So when we come back to the end where Jules and Vincent are in the diner, we've not seen Pumpkin and Honey Bunny for almost two hours. Most likely, and I know for a fact that the first time I watched this, I forgot about them. Mm-hmm. They come back to that one line that brings you immediately back and you're like, Oh shit, we're in the same place. They're about to rob this restaurant that these two hitmen are fucking sitting in. <laughs> yes. It's this type of strength of detail and writing that he does a couple other times that he sprinkles throughout this movie that are so great that are what you and I always talk about all the time. It's the little things, it's the little touches, it's the great writing, it's the setup and payoff. Mm-hmm. And he does this numerous times throughout this movie. And it's again one of the millions of reasons that I love this. Garçon means boy, I can tell you right now, was said a lot back then. I'm sure. This movie was obviously very quotable. God, 1994. Just Did people do anything other than quote movies? <laughs> Basically, no. Yeah. We have... The three Jim Carrey movies. Three Jim Carrey movies. We have Forrest Gump, and we have Pulp Fiction. It's a lot of movie oh, quotes. There was some quoting of... Oh, we already said the three Jim Carrey movies. I was going to say, there was some quoting of The Mask, but it... I imagine that was uh, largely just smoking. Yeah. 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 But lots of Ace Ventura. Alrighty then. Yeah. Dumb and Dumber. I mean, we did a whole fucking Dumb and Dumber episode. (laughs) We don't have to rehash Um, all those quotes. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, I don't really have much else to say about the opening scene. I I love that it sets it up. There is a lot of... A lot of people like to try to state that there's an editing or continuity error here as uh honey bunny what she says when she's about to rob is different here than what it is later and uh what tarantino has said is in this opening scene we're seeing the scene from pumpkin and honey bunny's perspective the end scene is we're seeing it from jules and vincent's perspective so it's off a little bit because people remember things differently i have no problem with the difference Hmm. so people can say whatever they want 
they want to nitpick that much, go right ahead. If that's your biggest nitpick, <laughs> the movie's doing just God, fine. There's, there's a. I wish I could remember this. You need to watch BoJack Horseman because there's a great <laughs> quote where BoJack uh, tells he tells a story about somebody asking him about his old sitcom where. Uh, uh, some fan asks him, you know, in one shot, there's a Starbucks coffee cup on the counter, and in the, in the other angle, it's not in there. Is that because the director was trying to make a statement about the subjectivity and how two people can experience a scene <laughs> in different ways? And he's just like, I didn't have the heart to tell the guy, no, man, some set hand just left his fucking coffee in the shot. <laughs> in the shot. So I just said, yeah, sure. <laughs> um... As soon as Honey Bunny is done yelling, just like I said, boom, right into Miserloo. As I'm sure you're aware, there's no score to this movie. Mm-hmm. It is scored by actual songs. Tarantino, top five at picking music for his movies? If not number one yeah, of our I, lifetime, I mean, the art, you could sit here and tell me that he's number one, and I really wouldn't have a, a counterexample. Who else would you put in the Scorsese? Argument? Yeah, okay. That's all I got. Yeah. I, it's kind of between those two. Oh, um, I mean, we praised Robert Zemeckis's score, but he basically, or sorry, his uh, soundtrack, but he basically just had all the money in the world to just go buy all the songs he wanted. Yeah, yeah, that uh, God. Damn it. It's dazed and confused. Robert Linklater. Richard Linklater. Yeah, there you go. Richard Linklater. Um, he's really good with music as well. Mm-hmm. But I personally, I can't think of somebody that's better than uh, maybe Edgar Wright. Yeah. I mean, you think of uh, – when I think of Edgar Wright soundtrack, I think of A, the entire movie, Baby Driver. Yes. And B, Don't Stop Me Now from, uh, from Shaun of the Dead. Yeah, I was thinking and all the music um, from Scott Pilgrim. Yeah, fuck Edgar Wright would be my, would be a good counterexample. <laughs> yeah, I while it's good, I still I I think I mean a lot of Edgar Wright's a lot of these counterexamples that we can give, I don't think go as deep into the American discography as Tarantino does. I think he has a lot more deep cuts. Yes. That's what I was going to say. Tarantino, and I'm sorry to cut you off, I think Tarantino used underutilized or unknown gems that instantly become classics mm-hmm. because of him. Like, like Steeler's Wheel. Like Stuck in the Middle with You. Never heard of that movie before Reservoir Dogs. That song? And now when people hear it, they're like, oh, that's a movie. For, that's a song from Reservoir Dogs. Yeah, exactly. Like, I mean, Scorsese's used Layla numerous times, and nobody ever thinks, oh, that's the that's the song from Goodfellas. They're like, yeah, oh, that's like, Layla. Oh, that's Eric Clapton. That's Eric Clapton. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. So um, that's why that's why personally I I fully admit I am biased. It's Tarantino, but I You're do, biased, but you're not wrong. I I think it's Tarantino. If somebody has a a a legitimate counterexample, please, I'd love to hear it. I mean, because it's fresh in memory, the first example that I gave was uh, Robert Zemeckis for uh, for Forrest Gump, but uh, I, mean, I think we hit the nail on the head. All the songs from Forrest Gump are already great songs yes we we praise that soundtrack because they fit so well in the movie because he picked well-known songs from that era you know and tarantino was very much doing the opposite yes <laughs> of that and he I and he makes it work never heard of miserloo before pulp fiction no 
people think of it like, oh, that's the Pulp Fiction theme. Yeah. No, it's not. It's Miserloo. <laughs> <laughs> Just happened to be played over top of the main credit. It's not a. It's not a theme. It's a song he chose. Yeah. So yeah, uh, it's a fucking perfect song to start oh, this amazing. movie. To start this movie, it is unbelievable. I would have a. T- oh man. So in- I'll always reference back to Inglorious Bastards. I. I love the opening title song from that movie. I can't tell you what it's called, first of all. Um, but the opening credits to Django as well. Oh. The, Django. Yep. That is just a, like, that's a fantastic song too. That I have to imagine was composed for the movie. I um, think so. I think, uh, I know that there's a score on Django. Yeah. Because um, I think it was Ennio Morricone who did it for him. Oh, that's so fucking cool. How did I not know that? Yeah. Maybe I did at some point. After yeah. Um, but yeah. <laughs> okay. We've uh, we've talked probably for a good 20 minutes. We're through the first scene. Yeah. <laughs> that's good. That's, I and think it, credits. And it's a five-minute scene. <laughs> like I said, I, I, I touched on this in the non-spoiler part. Uh, we now meet Jules and Vincent driving. We have no idea where they're going. We have no idea what they're doing. All they're talking about is drugs and fast food restaurants in europe can i can i tell you maybe the worst thing about me yes uh i've been to a mcdonald's in france and i did not order a royale with cheese i would kill you yeah <laughs> that's maybe the worst thing about me and it's not it's not small <laughs> that's probably gonna be one of the first things i do when i go to france yeah or if order a royale with cheese hell yeah or Le big mac yeah, <laughs> a la Big Mac. Uh, since we're there, uh, Royale with cheese is iconic, omnipresent. Yes, <laughs> people still talk about it to this day. I can't tell you how much they talked about it back then. Yeah, I don't know from experience, but I would have to bet it sucked to be uh, a McDonald's employee in 1994, early '95. I I know. A, my friend's little brother uh, works at a McDonald's, and I may have to ask him next time I see him if he if he's aware of the phrase Royale with cheese. I'm 99.999% sure he wouldn't have seen Pulp Fiction. Okay. Um, so I'm going to ask him next time I see him if he's ever heard the phrase Royale with cheese okay. as a McDonald's worker. I'm, I'm definitely interested in hearing yeah. that. <laughs> uh, like I said, this changed film. Um, talking about weird yet normal things as they lead strange lives. Uh, pop culture discussion, while being a part of pop culture, groundbreaking. Mm-hmm. It was mind-blowing. I'm, I can still remember sitting in the theater at the old Cineplex downtown on the corner of 6th and Victoria, just going, just standing there like this, or sitting, staring at the screen like, what the fuck is going on? This is amazing! I still have no clue what this movie's about. <laughs> but I've watched these two diner robbers have a discussion about the pros and cons of robbing liquor stores and banks and restaurants. And now I'm watching two guys in suits talk about doing drugs and what certain burgers are called in Europe. Okay. <laughs> and then we get the now generally iconic trunk shot from Tarantino. And this is where we learn, oh, 
Oh, they're hitmen. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I guess they're going somewhere with guns. We should have fucking shotguns. Yeah, we should have fucking shotguns. Small detail that I did not pick up on in my, I would say, whew, I'll go conservative, 40 to 50 plus viewings of this film. I only picked up on it because of my research for this podcast. They show how different Jules and Vincent are is Jules grabs his gun and puts the safety on. Mm-hmm. Vincent does not, mm-hmm. which will play up later. Uh, one of the things about this conversation, this very long conversation between Jules and Vincent, um, I, I talked earlier about how you and I have not talked, have, have done a surprising, surprisingly little amount of talking about Pulp Fiction in our friendship mm-hmm. uh, in anticipation of this episode. But one of the things I have gushed about that I've not been able to stop myself is in this scene, how I think a lot of people get this wrong and just say that this is just conversation for conversation's sake. I really don't think Tarantino does that as much as people think he does. This scene is actually incredibly exposition heavy. Yes. But you don't notice it. Yes. Because it's wrapped in so much bullshit. Yes. <laughs> that you just don't even you don't even notice. Like how much have we learned in this whole scene about our uh who are ostensibly our protagonists? Um We've learned that uh, John Travolta has just come back from a long trip and that he has a, kind of a serious drug problem, probably. Uh, we've obviously learned that they're hitmen. We've learned that their boss, Marcellus Wallace, is not to be fucked with. And we've learned that he's very protective of his wife, who, uh, who Vincent is going to be taking out. That's a lot of important exposition very. that's delivered to us that we don't even realize has happened. Correct. Because we're just like, oh, they're talking about nothing. No, 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 no. They're talking about bullshit. But <laughs> but the exposition is still there. This is some of the best exposition ever yes. in movies. Like, this has been copied, as we've talked about. This has been this has been ripped off countless times. But this is still unmatched. Yeah. This is amazing stuff. Yes. And Tarantino is the king of this in all of his movies. Agreed. This is where we also get a taste of a style, style, hmm. style, or a yeah, a style that Tarantino really starts to perfect. Where I think he perfects it perfectly in your favorite film, Inglorious Bastards, which is my favorite. My favorite part of Inglorious Bastards is the bar scene. Mm. This slow build of tension we get a glimpse of it here as we start to just see them just talk a little bit outside but when we get into the apartment he starts to ramp it up and he sets it up well because outside the apartment there are long takes we have that whole take actually when they get off the elevator until they go into the apartment is actually one take it's one long continuous shot. I think it's about two and a half to three minutes. Them talking about foot massage, which is absolutely fucking unreal. <laughs> talking about taking me out on a date. It's great. Then they go in the apartment. There's no long takes. There's lots of quick cuts. The camera starts to close in on them. He builds the tension slowly. 
until it explodes and it is brilliant it's not as well done here as it is in inglorious bastards inglorious bastards has two incredibly tense scenes in it does it ever (laughs) (laughs) actually you're forgetting the cafe between uh emmanuel and oh uh, yeah hans landa but that's 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 the third best of the three yes and this is no disrespect to the to the movie or to that Mm-hmm. It's a distant third. Yeah. Okay. Because those other two are... Br- You're talking about the introduction on... Uh, yep. On the, the milk. farm. Yep. Yeah. The and milk the, at the beginning. And the diner. And the fucking... And the bar scene. Mm. Or yeah, the, the bar, excuse me. Whew. Yeah. God, I really need to rewatch watch and go away. <laughs> I think it's been probably about a year. I think I watched it in isolation last year. Gonna need to revisit that. I definitely didn't watch it last year. I definitely didn't. Because now with Letterboxd, I know when I've watched stuff. Yeah, oh, I should go back. I watched Inglorious Bastards. You take a look, and I'll talk about Jules and Vincent. Oh, before I get into the apartment, is there anything you want to talk about outside the apartment? Gosh, let's. uh, I mean, nothing really comes to mind. Let me let me check uh, check my notes real quick. I I don't think so. I think I think in the apartment is where I have the rest of my notes. Okay, inside the apartment, outside the apartment, we. We get incredible exposition. We get an incredible back and forth on the meanings of an intent on giving a woman a foot massage. The best, one of the best things about this is Vincent makes an excellent point about foot massage. Did you watch it last year? I didn't. Ah, uh, there you I go. Haven't, I haven't watched it in like the last year and a half, unless I just forgot to log it. Now, that would not be possible. You'd be, you would have been so excited to log it. Yeah, that's true. Fuck, okay. I well, can tell you right now, I don't think you have because we would have talked about it on the podcast. Yeah, it's true. Unless, unless you watched it in December where we don't do podcasts. So. I don't, it, think, I don't think I would have. All right. I love how he sets up Jules where he starts talking about foot massages and Jules is like, I'm the foot fucking master. <laughs> and he's like, would you give a guy a foot massage? Yeah, it just sets him up <laughs> so good. Sets him up perfectly. <laughs> Fuck you. <laughs> you give him a lot? Fuck, Fuck you. <laughs> My feet are a little sore. I could really go for a foot massage. Oh, brilliant. Brilliant, brilliant, brilliant. We get inside the apartment. Tarantino's dialogue goes to another level. This whole scene with the big kahuna burger, what? It is genius. Absolute genius. I fell in... This This is the moment I fell in love with this movie. So I would say from this point on, this is where Pulp Fiction became my favorite movie of all time. I could not believe what I was watching. <clears throat> the funny thing was, is, is what is, oh, no, I want to go here. Okay. Brett, played by Frank Wally. Prior to this movie, it's a movie you and I had, I, I had talked about a little bit. More in regards to, God, what's her name? Damn it. Uh, fuck. And now I can't remember his name. She's married to the voice of Jarvis. She Uh-oh. was nominated for Best act, best Supporting Actress for A Beautiful Mind with Russell Crowe. I don't know who Paul Bettany is married to. Uh, okay. Jennifer. It's Jennifer something. She's absolutely stunning. 
Anyways. Jennifer Connelly. He's married to Jennifer Connelly? Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Paul Bettany. Yes. You get it, man. (laughs) Um, So Brett, played by Frank Wally, starred in a movie with Jennifer Connelly called Career Opportunities. Mm. Frank Wally's the lead in that movie. So when they open that door and I see Frank Wally said that, I'm like, holy fuck, it's a career opportunities guy. (laughs) (laughs) Which I loved. Um, This whole interaction with Jules was mind-blowing to me. Prior to this, I had little experience with Samuel L. Jackson. This movie is what launches Samuel L. Jackson into the stratosphere to become... This launches Samuel L. Jackson to be Samuel L. Jackson. Mm -hmm. This movie is what sets the tone for him for the rest of his career and sets him up for the rest of his life. That whole interaction with what, and like I said, and the big Kahuna Burger, I reference that scene a lot. I'll often say, hmm, that is a tasty burger. I'll say that too. (laughs) And I'll also say, (laughs) may I have some of your beverage to wash this down with? (laughs) I say that a lot as well. I quote this movie a lot. Rewatching it, I realize that I quote it more than I thought I did. Yeah, a lot of stuff just works its way into your vocabulary yes. that you just did not realize was there. Yeah, like one, like and 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 we'll get to that scene later on, but a saying that I say a lot is two shakes of a lamb's tail. Yeah. <laughs> I say I can't believe how often I say that. Yeah. I still say it a lot. Um which then leads into a very very popular quote that I do know off by heart and it really pissed me off when people got it wrong. Mm. And that's the Ezekiel twenty five seventeen. I can obviously recite the whole thing. Naturally. <laughs> Naturally. I, if I'm uh, under, if I'm seeing this correctly, it is actually on your shirt. Uh, we forgot to mention our attire tonight. But yes. We are both wearing Pulp Fiction shirts. And? And... Oh, and we're both wearing our Pulp Pulp Fiction uh, stance socks with uh, with Uma Thurman on them. Yes. (laughs) So this whole apartment scene is absolutely mind-blowing and takes the movie to another level. Now, I would be remiss. We're going to dive into it a lot more in the trivia section. But this is the introduction of the suitcase. Yes. So which has a lot of theories. Tarantino himself has answered this. And has said that it's nothing. That's right. There's no it, there's no answer. There's no answer. I'll leave it up to the viewer to decide what's inside, mm. which has led to numerous speculation, which we'll get to in the trivia. I have I just recently heard of a brand new theory that I loved Ooh. that I'm going to it, I'll tell you right now. It's fucking long. And I'm reading okay. all of it. All right. All right. I'm fine with that. Okay. I can tell you there's at least one theory that I subscribe to that I, I choose to believe is the case, even though I know that Tarantino himself has said there's there's no such purpose. But Is um, it the soul theory? It is. I yeah. love that theory, too. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and we've talked about this. It's yes. The, it's called The Death of the Author. Once the work leaves the author's hands, it is no longer theirs. It mm-hmm. is no longer up to them 
it is up to the audience to interpret it. Yep. So it was, I don't care if Quentin says that there's nothing in this fucking suitcase. It's Marcellus Wallace's soul. Yep. <laughs> That's what's in the suitcase. Love it. I think you're really going to enjoy this other theory I've recently come across. I'm, I'm intrigued. Wicked. Um, if I can compare Please. the apartment scene to the tense scene by which all other tense scenes must be compared, the border crossing oh, in Sicario. <laughs> I was like, is he talking about the border crossing against Sicario? Yes. Yeah. Just when, when we compare, the reason we compare things to that scene so often is because it's that in your memory, if you've seen the movie Sicario, in your memory, it's a very violent scene. It's an incredibly violent scene. But there's like maybe five seconds of violence yeah. in that entire, it's, it's minutes upon minutes upon minutes of tension. And then bang, 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 like three or four shots. And then another 30 seconds of tension, another gunshot, another 30 seconds of tension, gunshot. Like, it's it's punctuated by these tiny little moments of action. So it's a lot less violent than, than it is in your imagination. Now, Quentin Tarantino is the master of this, yes. of course. Um, I mean... Reservoir Dogs gets a lot of credit for uh, for the torture scene, the stuck in the middle with you scene. Uh, you you don't actually see the removal of the ear no, in don't. your head. You see it yep. in your head. You're like, I just watched this guy cut off another guy's ear, but you don't actually. Nope. Um, you and I were talking about Psycho off air. All the violence in that shower scene is actually off screen. Yes, it's all implied violence. Um, th- it's not kind of a perfect analogy to this apartment scene. Because there is some on-screen violence, but the point that I'm making is this scene actually isn't that violent. Nope. It's really not. Uh, <laughs> the, the, the first moment of on-screen violence that we see in this movie, actually, is Samuel L. Jackson shooting the guy on the couch. Flock of seagulls. Yeah, flock of seagulls. They're shooting him on the couch. And just the tension building up to that scene, knowing who these guys are, knowing that... Um, that um, our friend Brett has something of Marcellus Wallace's the way that the tension has been built up the way you've been fed this exposition without even realizing you've been fed exposition because it's funny and it just sounds like everyday bullshit. Um, it just builds the tension so much and it's coming to a head and you realize in this one tiny moment of this one gunshot that Brett is fucked <laughs> and it just, it creates a whole new level of tension yep. in the scene. And again, there's, one person being shot one time on screen in this scene. Yep. And then we, we don't really see a whole lot else. I guess we see Brett kind of get riddled with bullets. We do see him take, a, I think they show about four four to six shots. Yeah. But there's it's just like little squib marks. Yeah. It's not like, it's not like Kill Bill. Yeah. It's, it's, <laughs> not, like, it's not like Django yeah. violence. Yeah. It's just some, like Bonnie and Clyde is more violent than this yeah. movie. Yeah. It's just the building up of tension that Tarantino is so good at that makes you think that this movie is more violent than it is. This is a long fucking scene. If you consider the first moment of tension, or the, or the first moment of real, in quotation marks, exposition to be when they open the trunk, yep. This like from the, from the time that happens to the time Brett gets shot is what, like 10 minutes at least? Yeah, if not more. It's a long-ass time. Like, yeah. That's a lot of time we spend building this up and and talking this up and talking about who Marcellus Wallace is and speculating about what's in the briefcase. So um, while Tarantino gets a bad rap as somebody who is just a, a mindlessly violent director, like this scene is just... It's completely the opposite. It is it is so far in the other direction that I just don't understand how people can hold that opinion, you know? 
<laughs> well, we're two hours in and we're on the second scene yeah. of the film. <laughs> Fantastic. Mm. Um, obviously, another thing happens in this movie that you are a huge fan of. Uh, Marcellus Wallace being introduced by reputation. Yes. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, when uh, when Vince turns to Jules and said, um, uh, I think it's Vince who says it, and he says, uh, maybe maybe it's not the same thing as eating her out, but but he crossed the line, and Antoine should have fucking known better. Yeah. Uh, and he, he makes makes an illusion about uh, how it's Marcellus. Yeah. I, I can't remember exactly the line, but he's like. He's like, it may not be the same thing, but it's Marcellus and Antoine should have fucking known better. Yep. Like that line in and of itself. I mean, there's a lot of conversation about Marcellus there, but there's so much like before we even step into this apartment and be- long before we even see even the back of Marcellus's head. Yes. Uh, we know this guy is not to be fucked with. Yep. I love it. Which leads right into the next scene where we meet Marcellus, but don't see his face. We just see the back of his head with the Band-Aid, which leads more into the theory of his soul, <laughs> which we'll get into later. <laughs> but this is a, another great intro for Marcellus because we see the back of his head. We've already heard that he's black and bald mm-hmm. and that he's the boss. But what Tarantino does to build up the tension more is only show us Bruce Willis. Mm-hmm. After we see the back of his head, we now know, without him saying anything, that this is Marcellus Wallace. Now we just focus on Bruce, and we hear Ving Rhames' sultry voice. Mm -hmm. Just incredible voice work. As he's telling Butch he's going to throw a fight. And it just continues to talk, and all you see on Bruce Willis' face is acceptance and listening knowing full well who's sitting across the table from him we don't get to see marcellus's face great way to build up a character even more we think this is where normally you would just turn the camera around and you could watch marcellus talk for a bit nope we're still gonna keep him kind of mysterious and don't uh don't Jules and Vincent enter the bar or enter the restaurant or wherever they are later in the scene. Yes. And we still keep the the camera at a long distance away from Marcellus. We still don't get to see his face. We don't get that privilege just yet. We're going to keep, keep ourselves in anticipation. So Jules and Vincent show up in different clothes. Yes. In 94, everyone was like, what the fuck? <laughs> it's a weird costuming decision. Yeah, there's like uh, everyone. I'm and I remember. I'm like, what did I like? What did I miss? Like, it was really kind of confusing. And I was like, okay, I this might be the worst continuity error I've ever seen in film, but okay. But then uh, Paul and uh, Jules have this little conversation saying. Like, he says something with the clothes. He's like, don't fucking ask. <laughs> and are like, okay, I guess something happened. That's weird. I'm like, why wouldn't they show it? Yeah. Little did I know, they will be. Not money your storytelling. Yep. Quick scene. Butch, Butch and Vincent have a little, skirf- not even a skerfuffle, a little stare down. Two alphas bumping into one another. Yeah. Um, so it's implied here that Vince knows who butch is yes i guess because he calls him calls him by name paluka paluka that would that's not his name calls him paluka yeah we've never heard that term no i haven't it's a derogatory term for a boxer 
because uh, I think some guy's last name was Paluka, who was um, uh, accused of throwing fights. Oh. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. It's yeah. a derogatory term for a boxer. It's somebody that will take a dive. Um, small detail that we love about Tarantino. Uh, Butch asks for a pack of red apples. Yes. So uh, for those who don't know, Red Apple Cigarettes is a made-up cigarette company who makes an appearance in, uh, in every one of Tarantino's films. As yep. far as I know, every one of Tarantino's films. Is it Red Apples in Once Upon a Time? Yes. Um, Leo's character stars in a commercial in the post-credits, I think, or mid-credits. Interesting. Yeah, I think so. He stars in a Red Apple cigarettes commercial. This is where we will break up the episode. This is the end of our Pulp Fiction Review Part 1. Tune in very soon for Part 2.